it's not like a in the, in the programmer humor subreddit. There's you know the meme of like the the tiny brain person and then like the big brain person yeah, and yeah. like the galaxy the brain. Sc- galaxy brain. It was like tiny brain person. It was like two hundred lines of code a day, and then big brain was like a thousand lines of code a day, and then the galaxy brain was like negative one hundred lines of code. A day. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 387 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I've been here the whole time. I'm Sam and I'm out here. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is still October 2020. Two. Oh, but an in there. <laughs> Fucked it up. October 2020. 22. Yep, that's the one. Uh, before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be a profanity. I know. I already did show. it. I already did it. I said you fucked oh, it up. Um, Sorry about that. That's okay. It, people will figure it out. Yep. They'll, they'll figure out that there's profanity in this show because uh, yeah. of the profanity. I guess I announced so, yep. uh, All right. Now, this is round two of our three-episode recorded back-to-back extravaganza. So nothing has happened since the prior episode. I feel like we haven't about. lost our marbles yet. It seems like yeah. Pretty chill still. They're getting pretty loose in the in the bag though. Yep. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. they're kind of jangling around in there. But let's talk about let's talk about Crash Nights 2. Okay. Let's talk about buffs and debuffs. Okay. Mm. So what's a buff? What are you talking about? So here's the deal. Crash Nights 2. You can run around in the world. You've got your weapons, you've got your, you know, your swords and your daggers, and you got stuff you can use to chop trees and all that. You got fish you can use to slap other fish. Just yeah, whatever. Obviously, that's a staple of all games. So that we don't need to go into that one. Nope. But nope. Uh, right now, the the combat system is the combat and sort of like world interaction system is basically just taking a thing and whacking it against another thing, uh, and that can take you pretty far. Whole that's game pretty franchises have been made out of that, frankly. Yeah, um, but we want to start working towards some of the more interesting ways of building out your character to play differently. So maybe you want to have a character that feels more like a wizard that's doing mm-hmm. some weird like magic-y stuff. Or maybe you want a character that feels more like a fighter who's like a like a beefy tanky thing that can kind of like take a beating and, you know, send one back. Um, or maybe something just kind of weird that's like real fast and teleporty or something. I don't know, right? There's lots of different cool ways that you could uh, interact with the world, fight things, navigate, you know, whatever. But if all we have is just hitting stuff with other stuff, then none of those things are really possible, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, the next phase of development that we're getting into with Crash Ends 2 is expanding on our ability system, which will enable those kinds of things to happen. But first, we we have to layer in the concept of buffs and debuffs. So a buff is, and a debuff, is just a positive or negative temporary effect that makes some kind of a change to what's happening. So, Do you know what the simple, origin is of these terms? Like a I don't. A debuff? I mean, you buff a car, I only, right? Or you buff a car. You That's buff true. something to shine it up, which I feel like yeah. it's sort of a adding some shine to yourself one way or another. Debuffing is yeah. maybe it's just the opposite. But, you know. So in it's the, like when in you the use, context use, of use the sandpaper on a car, is a yeah, use the wrong you use the wrong towel on your uh, glasses, and then they're like yeah, scratched. Yeah, yeah. You know, yep, that'll do mm-hmm. it too. Yeah. Got to buff that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, in the context of game design, people refer to things as buffs or nerfs, 
when it comes to uh, making something stronger or making something weaker. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I the buffs and debuffs, like, but all of these terms, I only really started hearing about when I started playing online games in like the mid two thousands. I don't really know where they yeah. originated from, but and we should say um, they are all this the same single concept. Right, which is a temporary change to some kind of aspect of the game's mechanics. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, a couple examples. Uh, maybe you uh, you you use. So, in the original crashes, we had the D bot, which is a little gadget that you would use, and it would give you an invincibility shield for like five seconds. So that's a buff. It's just a it's a buff that while you have that buff, you can't take damage, mm-hmm. right? Or bad things can't happen to you. It's like the um, star in in Mario games, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, but you can also have buffs that uh, do things like healing. So if you eat something and and that gives you healing over time, then the thing that's managing the amount of healing you get and the timers and all of that and like how fast it's delivered, that's a little buff that goes onto your character. On the flip side, you can have debuffs that are all kinds of things, whether it's being on fire or being stunned. Being or slowly being, poisoned. Being mm-hmm. poisoned or slowed or just being sad. You know, that's a yeah. debuff mm-hmm. that kind of affects everything that you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all these there's all these kinds of things. And so uh, so our first phase of of expanding on the combat system is is starting to build out this buff debuff system and then exploring the ways that we can use that to start to uh, build out what would be kind of loosely considered as like character, like gameplay archetypes. So um, a, a fun example is what we're working on right now is is sort of a stealthy, sneaky uh, attacks of opportunity kind of a gameplay style, kind of assassin kind of a vibe. yeah. Um, so we're not we're not quite sure on sort of like the the lore connections behind it. So this is just more like a mechanical design at this, like a mechanical prototype at this point. But we now have a a new stat in the game called called ambush, and we have a new gadget that allows you to become sort of like enshrouded and and you become stealthy. So you're in stealth mode. Is the uh, animation like the Homer Simpson walking backwards into a bush? Ideally, we don't have any animations on it at all yet, so it's kind of weird because now you're like, "I'm stealthy," but you just are walking around. I was actually thinking about that yesterday because my favorite animations from Levelhead is the Jerry yeah, bush. bush power. That's up. so good. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. We might end up might need to bring that up, bring that back here because that. Oh yeah, that just cracked yeah. me up, and it's so fun because you're if you're doing a full body swap like that, then it's actually it's easy to do these like uh, sort of temporary power state things. Anything yeah. you want to just change like a piece of a character, especially. Doing these 2D animations is a pain in the ass, but if you fully swap the thing, then yeah, we could do. Mm-hmm. We could do well, I, I love the idea of of you just like starting to look like a shrub, but then just continuing to run around <laughs> at full speed as normal, you know. <laughs> um, and so, so the way we're kind of like building this stuff out then is we say, okay, so first off, we want we want there to be this stealth mechanic, and we want that to be something that you can use to enable other cool things. So. Baseline, when you go to stealth mode, then all that really happens is enemies don't really res- re- respond to you. So if they were going to be aggressive toward you, now they don't notice you anymore. So right out of the gate, that's an interesting thing that you can use to sneak past things and you know unscathed and and get into places that otherwise would be more dangerous, right? But that's a pretty basic interaction. Things start to get interesting when you start to blend it with other mechanics, and that's where something like this this ambush stat comes in. So the ambush stat is one where uh, whenever you attack something, 
from stealth, then you will create a vulnerability debuff on it, which will make it take more damage from you for a few seconds. So essentially, if you have, you know, if you have 25% ambush, then that means your target's going to take 25% more damage from you for that brief moment right after you enter or after, after you uh, attack it out of stealth, right? So that then sort of further compounds into other play styles where now that you have this little window of a damage boost, then you start to think, what else can I do to capitalize on that fact? Can I, you know, uh, just do what kinds of things can I do to deliver a lot of damage in that window and exploit this little, you know, vulnerability window? So let's say, for example, we got like a poison debuff, which we're, which we've gotten working on, which just, you know, it, it just delivers poison damage over time, which again, just like stealth by itself is useful, but not, you know, super interesting, not like, not like crazy interesting. It's just like a thing that you can do, uh, but if if we then give you a, a gadget that says, all right, this gadget is some kind of like a, a poison catalyzer. And what it does is it takes all the poison damage that's going to be delivered to a target over time and just makes it all happen instantly, right? So you so then if you mix all these things together and sort of like a you know, like a build your own build your own character archetype kind of thing, then you could say, okay, I want to like take the stealth thing, I want this ambush thing, and then I'm going to go heavy into poison so that I can like deliver as much poison as I can during that three-second window. And before that three-second window is over, pop it, just explode mm-hmm. them, right? Uh, and this is fun too from a design side, on, like on the, from a game design perspective, because it also lets you just do stuff because that one thing is interesting, mm-hmm. right? Because And you can do it like thinking about how it might interact with other stuff, because of course you should be taking into account some context, right? But yeah. But you just kind of do something because it just by itself is interesting. And then without it needing to fit perfectly neatly, like as a puzzle piece with some other aspect of design, um, because of this like aspect of build your own adventure kind of a kind of a thing, because now people can discover that they can do weird things, right? That you might not even have thought. It's kind of like, it's like level head all over again, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a smaller number of parts that are all interesting by themselves, but it's the interaction that makes them interesting. And it's actually the players like discovering interactions that we didn't even conceive of that are particularly fun and cool and exciting. And yeah, maybe like out of whack balance wise. Right. But then you get that to feel like fun, you got away with something. That's what yeah. makes it fun, you know? Yeah. And also, you know, part of this is about scaling, right? Where like, if, if baseline, you know, it's, it's kind of challenging to fight an enemy. If all you have on hand is just something, you just like, just whack them with a stick a bunch of times. Right. But then like, once you can do all this stuff where you can just like walk right up to them without them starting to fight you. And then you can just, you know, quickly like deliver a bunch of poison into them and explode them before they can even react. Well, that's a, that's a whole other gameplay experience that we, you know, if that's, if that becomes possible, then we, you know, we may have to kind of shift the balance a bit. Right. Uh, well, that's the fun part so, too. Cause, cause that also, on the other side, because you're talking about like what the player gets to do, right? Yeah. But then that also impacts what like the enemies and the bosses get to do because it lets yep. us do whatever we want. To yeah, because now we yeah, exactly because now we can do <laughs> yeah. whatever we want too because we can just do weird shit and we can be like, okay, well, if the player did approach this in like this handful of ways, like it would be differentially hard depending on which one. And like, but if like if somebody specked all the way into like instant poison damage, you know, and then there's like a category of enemy or a boss or whatever. That's just immune to poison, like robots. Yeah, like example. robots. <laughs> or that yeah. that uh, if it's like a stealth focus, and like if the thing has some kind of an initial state where it can't take damage until it's paying attention or whatever, right? So now all of a sudden you can like have just you can just do interesting stuff. Yeah, 
Then and the then be like, just, oh, the player could probably figure something out. You know, there's yeah, just, do, just, does then, the player have tools? Essentially, is the question. Yeah, but you can also then, yeah, and you can develop augmentations. So, for example, if you said like, there's another gadget that takes all of the poison damage that you have on on targets, right, and then like turns it into an a an absorb shield on you or something yeah. like that, or lights it on fire, and now it's fire damage instead. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. So then you so then you can do interesting things like maybe you're fighting something that's immune to poison, but if you can bring in some other enemies that aren't immune to poison. You can stack poison on them and then use that poison to somehow boost yourself to kill the thing that's you, immune you to poison. You pull their you souls out using the poison and yeah. then you turn it into a soul right. uh, sword and you, you stab the robot. Right. And yep. you don't even have to uh, like change everything that you're doing to stop being about poison to like solve this non-poisonable problem. You can maybe swap out a couple of things instead and just you know, sort of pivot what you're doing into a different direction. So, um, so that that's the kind of stuff that we want to enable with the buff debuff system. Right now, we just have the foundational layers of it, where we have the ability to change change your stats, and you know whether it's like this ambush stat or like whether you can stealth, um, and we have the ability to do you know healing and and damage. And then things will start to get more interesting as we build in all these extra triggers that allow you to manipulate what those buffs are doing and kind of how they interact with each other. Um, so very excited about it. It's, you know, it's uh, for as for as like foundational as it is, it feels kind of weird that we're doing it this late in development. But I think it's, it's necessary because we had we want this to be really uh, synergistic and complex. And by complex, I just mean to have lots of possible interactions mm-hmm. between different buffs so that we can enable all these cool play styles. Um, but that means having really good tools for allowing the buffs to kind of point to each other and make it easy for us to design them and set them up and test them. And without the game changer tech that we built, I think, you know, oh, this would all have to be, this would all have to be just straight up hard coded. Every single buff would have to be hard coded to just do exactly what it does. And if we ever had a new idea of something, you know, there goes another two days of dev, right? Mm-hmm. And so this it's kind of a front loading the cost of designing our ability to create these things and then just going nuts. Well, I think it's, it's also important to note where, where something like, even though you you could say like a buff buff stuff is um, sort of managing state over time and like damage over time and some of these interesting tweaks while they are foundational to a complex combat system. They are not actually foundational to just a basic combat system, right? Yeah, the like existence. Yeah, the system. hitting stuff with sticks, right? Um, always works instantaneously. It's good. What they're actually, and I think the, the problem we've had in the past was not understanding where they fit experientially, which is... What they're really for in a in a game like um, like Crashlands or any game that has uh, basically enemies that do that are kind of hard and, and require you to do some uh, navigation around. What they what they're for is giving the player additional tools to overcome those particular challenges. So in the early game, you don't have you just don't have those challenges. Like I mean, by early game, I mean like you know early prototypes and stuff. There's not enough going on for it to warrant actually having these in a way that really uh, end up being like an expansion on that system so much as uh, just kind of putting the player into an overpowered state, right? So much as like getting to a place where currently our, our next milestone is essentially you know, getting a big boss put in, experience put into the game. So it's like what actually is usually the next step for a player uh, in wanting to defeat a boss? And it's like, well, I, I need to power up somehow, right? I need more tools and yep. more capability. 
and so that's basically now it's now it's the moment to like slot this thing in uh and be able to actually uh, and deliver on it i think what's been fascinating though is again this is like one of the new systems developed only in the context of the game changer and just how fast it came together is the same thing we're actually last last week we did it in like five days uh got the thing initial like fully initialized right fully set up it was working with it within like three or four days and then it's just been building and building and building on it um over the course of basically like two weeks now, uh, such that now we have the buffs are applying animations, uh, like animated effects on hit and sound effects and swing overlays and all sorts of zany stuff. And you know, you go from having literally no buffs in the game at all, period. But it's been on the bucket list for since the inception of the game to this point, almost two years, uh, to just like two weeks. Boom, there they are. You could stealth now. We didn't. Even, we didn't have stealth. We that's been that's been a pipe dream in one of our games at some point for eons. You know. Now it's like. Yep. Took a, just a little bit yesterday to put stealth in. It's like, how, what? Well, and actually yesterday it was, it was creating stealth as a, as a concept, making the gadget to allow you to stealth, making the ambush stat and the vulnerable stat and making the ambush to debuff. Right. <laughs> and like, oh, and like all those things. Um, and yeah, that was just like an afternoon, you know, just mm-hmm. slap all those things together. Now the, the hard part then just is is. And this is something that we're really starting to really hone in on is that the hard part of everything now is integration. Mm-hmm. And by integration, I just mean making the thing is fine, but then where does it go? Yeah. Making How the does thing it, in isolation is, of course, easy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it, if Sam wanted to, he could just, over the next week, he could just bang out like 10 full armor sets visually, mm-hmm. right? But they yeah, still need done to, in the game. Like, they're ready yeah, to go. They could mm-hmm. be in there. But they have to fit somewhere. They have to be connected to things in the world. And the question is like, are they crafted? Do you find them? Do they come from bosses? Do they come from quest quests and everything? Which means understanding the context in which all the rest of the armor is delivered. What are they all, made of? This is actually what are really, they made of? The weirdest yeah. parts of making a crafting game. I think I think people may not necessarily consider before heading down a crafting game path. This is something we've definitely cornered ourselves on with Crashlands in particular because we part of the fun thing is the fact that everything you see is made of stuff that you. Like it actually is made of the stuff that you harvested. It's not like a everything turns into copper and it's just metal that's orange now and whatever. You know who cares? Um, it's made of like straps of bark or whatever weird stuff. And that particular commitment, you know, makes things really right. fucking hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah, you well, can't actually build an armor set until you know where it goes in the tech tree and what it's made of, which means you have to know what the shape of, like basically there's a lot of these like circular dependencies. Well, part of the fun part though too is that, is that there's so many ways to actually uh, like a approach this from like, where do you start and work from? Mm-hmm. But this actually allows you to do it in a really fun direction, which is basically to like literally build a world first with like an ecology and like yep. kinds of plants and like, and then to come up with like, what do these plants do? You know, like how do they behave? Do they, right. And then you can, as you build out this ecology, you can then just then you can just say like, okay, well, this is what we've got, right? Mm-hmm. I already know what it looks like, um, and this is like roughly how much of the game this kind of represents. So, how much stuff needs to be made of this stuff, right? And then you can kind of mm-hmm. go from that direction, but going the other direction of being like, okay, I made all this dope armor, right? How do I slot it in? Is a is a much more challenging mm-hmm. direction, right? Like that's that's the fun of this kind of a yeah. system where you can yeah. by having things not have to be like really coupled to like the idea of power leveling and try to try to make it more broad and more open worldy. Right. So things are just a little flatter uh, and also designing systems that don't need, again, there aren't like puzzle pieces fitting together. They're more like a whole bunch of interesting stuff. That's mm-hmm. just what it is. Right. Then you 
remove a whole bunch of requirements on yourself from a developer perspective in the context of a very complex system. Yeah, yeah. By basically saying like, okay, cool, we can like, if we start with the world and work out from there, right, then you just get to kind of have fun making cool stuff. That's kind of like what the end result is, right? And then and then just be like, what's missing now, right? Mm-hmm. The world's yep. here, I'm walking around in it. So what's missing now, you know? And then just go yeah. make that thing. Yeah, and you can kind of pull on those on those experiential threads of like, let's say, let's say we've got a bunch of, you know, continuing the, the talk about like poison, right? So let's say we've got a bunch of sort of like poisony things, but it's still the case that as you're playing, if you're playing as a character who's doing a lot of this poisoning, there's moments during gameplay where you're like, oh man, like I really wish I could have done blah, you know, like I, like I had all these poisons out here and I'm like, my one gadget was on cooldown, and I was really feeling like if I had a button that did this, right, that it would have been super cool, right? Uh, like maybe if I had a button that like would like purge all the poisons from my targets, but then like paralyze them, you know, or something like that. So as you're, as you're playing through the game, you can kind of feel out moments that would be really cool and interesting to have. And then, you know, we can get those items conceived of and, and integrated into the story and stuff. Um, so there, there is like one of the big challenges right now that we're still working through is that Crash Jones 2 is a lot more lateral and, and less vertical in terms of progression. So a lot of it is about um, going to other places in the world and uncovering these alternative, you know, recipes and other, other things to craft and other ways to play. But it's not necessarily just like, oh, I made level one armor, now I made level two armor, now I made yeah. level three armor, and just kind of like, you know, moving straight up yeah, through. things have to kind of just be decoupled, you know, like as much as possible it has to be like, things are independent because you can't possibly like model, given a thing you want to do, every possible way the player could experience that and with the combination of all the other things. Because like a player could end up in like very late game doing whatever. And then come back to the first part of the game, right? Like, yeah, and maybe there's, there's some stuff, stuff they, they haven't seen there. And now what happens yeah. when they see it at that point, right? And like, if you have to try to predict every possible combinatorial right. outcome, it's literally so infinite. It's There's just no way. Yeah. So the only way to do it is to try to figure out how do you make it so that that things being out of balance isn't a big deal and it's just interesting, right? Mm-hmm. And how do you make it so that you can just do stuff that is interesting and fill in obvious gaps of like overarching kinds of experiences? Like the story needs to progress at a decent pace, and like we need some boss fights that you should really get to. Right? Feel like they can progress. You know, people yeah. feel like they, yeah. There's like you got to have all those kinds of aspects there, but it all has to somehow be as like loosely coupled mm-hmm. as you can make it, while still also allowing for those interactions to be interesting. Because if it's loosely coupled, but then there aren't any interactions, and that's like the okay. most boring scenario, yep. right? <laughs> so, yeah, yep, it's challenging. Yeah, so that's our, our biggest challenge is integration. Then of uh, being able to make all this stuff doesn't necessarily mean that you know it's still easy to weave all of it together into like a, a great, you know, yeah. contiguous. But the hard part is where it should so. be, which is the design part, right? It's yeah. like, how do we do what we, how do we do Cause we already, we can like, now we're removing all the constraints on capacity to deliver a given design. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now all of the, the limitations are on the, it's on deciding side. what to do. Yeah. Which as, is as opposed to how do we even do this thing? Yeah, that we it's want the best place. But it also means yeah. you do have to figure out what your constraints are because you can't operate without constraints. And so still trying to basically saying like given like everything is really complicated and infinite interactions. So how do we treat those as like useful constraints 
to help guide the stuff we then decide to do and like how they interact. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 So it's, uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to sort of like conceive of all the different cool stuff that we want and then sort of figure out how to weave that all together and see what we can deliver. Cause I think, you know, the buff stuff is, is part of it. We also have like pro- upcoming projectile systems so we can make all kinds of like bombs and spears and, you know, things that you can kind of throw out fireballs, you know, whatever it is. Um, and again, that'll be an entirely new layer of cool stuff to do. Uh, so man, it's, it's coming along. It's going real fast. Yeah. Uh, all right. You guys ready to get us some questions? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. First question comes from uh, Rarzip7z. Oh, and these questions come from podcast.bscotch.net. Uh, Rarzip7z says, how do you bros deal with the possibility of getting carpal slash cubital tunnel syndrome or just repetitive stress injuries in general while working all day with computers? Mm. Um, Sam probably has the most extensive answer to this one. Yeah. yeah so uh, I had my first, I started having a bit of wrist trouble last year. And I think it was actually in part because of, of course, you know, yeah, we do work on computers all day. And then I use a tablet for, you know, like a Cintiq to draw on. So I'm holding a pencil all day, basically. Um, which is which, one of the most unnatural, like, hand yeah, kind of configurations. Yeah, it can be a lot. So um, so I think the first thing is recognizing where it's coming from. So actually what, what initially started it for me, weirdly enough, was um, during the pandemic, I started doing bodyweight workouts at home. Um, it was doing, you know, as part of that, typically push-ups is a very common thing, which actually doing some rough push wrists. Yeah, flat, flat-handed flat uh, push-ups is actually very wrist strenuous. And so if you, if you put that together mm-hmm. with like a daily regimen that is just holding a fucking pencil all day, um, turns out that that uh, kind of sets you up, tees you up for some, for some nonsense. Um, so one is basically looking at not just your work related stuff, but also other aspects of your life where you're going to be inflaming these things, uh, in ways that maybe you didn't really quite anticipate. So everything from holding your phone to whatever else, because you find ways to ease the whole system back a little bit, uh, as far as impact there, whether that is through, uh, like I have a funky kind of ergonomic belly thing on my stylus now for drawing that makes it easier to hold. Um, I use kind of voice dictation stuff. Yeah, I use more voice dictation stuff uh, for my phone now instead of just trying to type all the time. Uh, things like that. Kind of j- just peel back a bit uh, in a variety of areas. Are you and using then, Talon still for hotkeys on desktop and stuff? Or uh, We've been pairing so much. for. I haven't done like, a ton of art for the last like four or five weeks or so. So okay, once, yeah. I'm, once I'm more solo and just kind of doing some art stuff, I'll be have Talon back on. But uh, for the most part, it's just been the usual stuff. Yeah, but um, in that context, what Talon's letting you do is is... The Less stuff hand like move stuff. your hand a lot. Yeah, you can just say things instead. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then the the other is is to recognize and kind of pair your your activities in a way that makes it so you're not necessarily like doubly straining stuff. And what I mean by that is the place where I think I got pretty messed up was actually in I think it was around March or so this year. I was working on that uh animatic cutscene for Crashlands 2. Shitload of drawing every day. Um so just Eight hours a day. Just yeah, drawing. Yeah, eight hours a day, just, just drawing stuff straight. And then um, got really into Elden Ring. So eight hours a day drawing, and then pop off and spend two, three hours playing on a controller um, on the Xbox. And actually, hold, holding a, a console controller is also kind of bad because your your hands kind of come together, and then your wrists kind of go back a bit. Yeah. Um, so it's not it's not actually that well suited to yeah. good ergonomics yeah depending on the game i found of course elden rings it's pretty stressful because you're getting killed all the time so depending on the game um 
like I, I'm very tense when I'm playing, you know, uh, kind of more of those sharp games where you got to be really uh, fast on the controls and stuff. Kind of grip, grid, get a death grip on that controller. So um, that combination of things threw me into the spot where I had, I basically was developing problems on my hand, my wrist started hurting. Um, you know, while clicking, it was hurting, all sorts of stuff like that. So that's where a bit more of the extensive kind of like, okay, like quit fucking around basically when it comes to some of your tools and things. And it's, it's annoying because the reality is that it's like a back injury where, you know, once you've been injured in one of these ways, it's more likely that you are going to get injured again in the same way. You're sort of like teeing yourself up for future problems, essentially, any yeah. by allowing it to happen once. And I think that's the big takeaway, which is, if it is the case that you do computer work or you do hand-related work all the time, do not make the mistake of saying, I don't have any problems, so I'm not going to like invest in some ergonomic stuff, right? Yeah. So keep your Stay, stay yeah. ahead of it. Stay ahead, stay ahead of, it. of it. It's a big thing. Yeah, big thing we talked about in the studio, staying ahead of it. And so uh, go ahead, get an a, you know, ergonomic keyboard or mouse or whatever. Get your setup you know, working and also find ways in other areas of your life to pull some of the strain off of your hands. That's yeah, so if you're talking about the the pencil thing, it does make me wonder, like, is there a concept of a thing that you can, like, just put onto your finger and just draw with your finger as opposed so, to having to, like, hold a... Well, the issue is for most people, myself included, like, your fingers, weirdly enough, like, uh, if you just had your finger, you have to be so tense to get it to, like, do exactly what you want that you sort of get, you end up kind of clawing anyways, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's just sort of a challenging thing being very being very precise. I think it's just well because you're using your whole arm actually. Yeah, you use your whole arm. Well, you're using yeah, you're using all of your fingers holding the the pencil plus your wrist. Yeah, your because it's actually less about like holding the pencil. That is definitely an influence. It's actually more about what your wrist has to do to Mm -hmm. to have a flat surface that you're then somehow touching in a really controlled, careful, precise way. Right, and this is the same thing with keyboards. Right, it's like taping. Yep. It's it's that it's that your your hands aren't designed to to lay down flat on a keyboard, right? That's it. Actually, even if you're just like sitting here, you just like flip your arms over flat. You can just feel it's like oh, it's like just slightly uncomfortable. Assuming you don't mm-hmm. already have RSI, right? That's probably very uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the number one thing for all this stuff is, as Sam said, stay ahead of it, mm-hmm. and that's all about consciously designing both your tooling and like the hardware and like the stuff that you're physically using, right? But also what it means to interact with those things. So like the number one thing is basically like where's your monitor and desk and keyboard positioned relative to each other because Mm -hmm. the monitor should be at the the top of the monitor should basically be where your eyeballs are, like height-wise, right? And then if you start there and like work your way down, right, then somehow the keyboard should be if you're standing and you're looking at the top of your monitor and then you take your little your little T-Rex arms and you kind of put them down in T-Rex 90-degree-ish position, like a little lower, right? That's where your hands should be. So is that where your keyboard is, right? And if not, then how do you get it there, right? Yeah. So this is where things like monitor arms plus standing desks come together so that you can choose the relative positions of those like vertical stack of things so that all of that's optimized, right? And after that, it's now it's like, okay, what kind of keyboard do you have? And when you're using your keyboard, how much do you need to use it because of how you're approaching the work, right? Because mm-hmm. like, so like in my case, I have so much tooling. Like so many things are happening automatically in my in my development environment that most of what I have to do actually is think about stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's once really I figure good. out how to do something, then it's really f- easy to do it. And so I actually don't have to type 
as much as it seems like I should be typing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I just have to spend so much time thinking. Surprised me. I saw like a in the, in the programmer humor subreddit. There was you know the meme of like the the tiny brain person and then like the big brain person and yeah, then yeah. like the galaxy the brain. Sc- galaxy brain. It was like tiny brain person. It was like two hundred lines of code a day, and then big brain was like. A thousand lines of code a day, and then the galaxy brain was like negative one hundred lines. Of code. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's actually that you know, yeah. Which is that one thing that I, yeah I've come to appreciate is that is that as I've gotten better at programming, more of my time is just spent reading code. Yep, and thinking about what to do, especially in a and large a, code base that's growing over time because. Everything has to happen in the context of that ever-growing, existing code base. Yeah, because if I'm if I'm having to write a thousand lines of code to do something fairly straightforward, then there's a good chance that there's a much better way to do it that doesn't take so much freaking code. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it's not quite the same on the art side. Uh, the art is just it's just a one-to-one. Like if you like need art, you got to make the art. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is the case that you can. And this is actually it is there is a degree of it though, which is that um, a lot of artists talk about mileage especially uh, early artists and, and people training up still, which is just the idea like, uh, there's this, I still think it's just one of the dumbest ideas I've heard. It, I think feel like the heart's in the right place, but it is dumb, which is this whole like, oh, you got 10, you got like a 10,000 drawing, 10,000 bad drawings to get out before you get to the good ones. So just like get them out of the way. So, you know, just crank out those drawings. Yeah, right. Like it's, the magic number is like, that's just a random number pulled out of a hat. But the and idea, it's not like though, making bad drawings makes you better. That yeah. is the <laughs> It's always thoughtful and consciously critiqued yes. work. And so you'll see this with concept artists sometimes too, where, um, you know, they'll, they'll have like a prompt that they got or something. And then you just see like this flurry of work come out of it. Um, but it's not necessarily well thought out. The pictures are cool, but as far as like, you could have done a 10th of the pictures if you took, uh, you know, yeah, an hour to maybe look up some more references, do some more thinking about how it integrates with the game, do some more story work, you know, et cetera. So I think there, there is a de- definitely actually, a, there is a degree of that. I think as you get better on the art side of, of the planning part, being a bigger and bigger part of the whole experience where then you, what, how many times, how many things you end up needing to draw to get to the end goal, I think actually does go down yeah. as you, or can go down if you're, I think, taking the right approach as you get kind of further along. Um, I think it's the leverage of the physical act of you doing whatever the work is. Exactly. Um, keeps on getting amplified by the pre-work that you learn how to do a better and better job of over time. But also yes. then when you do finally like sit down and start putting pen to tablet or hands to keyboard or whatever, um, the way that you have figured out how to really use your tools effectively. Because like I look at I look at people use like like expert Photoshop digital artists, right? And the shit that they're doing with like the different kinds of brushes and like the different kinds of things that that software can do. Where so if we're talking about like the concept of mileage, right? It's like how many times do they need to like put the pen to the tablet to then end up with the outcome that they want? And if you look at the kind of shit they're doing, it's like they're like, oh, I need to draw like a string of pearls, right? And they just go grab this like this brush that just automatically makes a string of pearls or whatever the fuck, right? So, so that they, <laughs> but then like in this like really smart way where they can then kind of like they understand that tool so yeah, there's, well yeah, there's, that there's the tool input requirements things. go down and down and down. So I think that's so mm-hmm. much of it is about your tooling and your your physical environment is about the leverage. Is how do you minimize how much input is required to get the output you're looking for? So really, it's it's all about your your post mortem ability. It's yeah. like after you do each thing, even if even if there's like a subconscious kind of reflection going on where you're like, how did that go, and 
how could it go better and faster next time? You know, how can I get better results with the same input or how can I give less input to get the mm-hmm. same results, right? Or potentially, how can I do a lot less effort to get an almost as good mm-hmm. outcome, you know? <laughs> which in some cases is, you know, it's totally fine, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's something else that I, I, I think, you know, like you're saying, Adam, keyboards are kind of a, a big culprit. Um, mm-hmm. There is, there's a few things that I have going on. And one thing that I wish I had going on that I haven't figured out yet, but, but people talk about standing desks as like a big thing, being able to kind of like just switch between modes. But for me, the biggest thing of having the standing desk was actually just the fact that it can adjust down. Yeah. Yep. And almost every desk. So desks are built they're, for. They're made for like a rough. six foot one person or something. Yeah. Because of course, if you make your desk too small then tall people can't use it. Yeah, you can right. always so get most, a, a taller chair, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so most desks and chairs are just too tall for most, for people. most people, right? For at least half of people, if not more than half of people. So the way that your like legs are being compressed on the chair from kind of like sl- slightly hanging down and not actually like having your feet make full contact with the floor, that's a problem. Um, but also that, that most desks are still at the same height that they were when computers weren't really a thing and where most of the work you did was on paper where you you needed the desk at a good writing height mm-hmm. which is much higher. higher up yeah yeah uh and so so have, getting the we got the uh, I can't remember what the name of this the uplift desk yeah, yes. uplift uplift desk, yeah. um so my uplift desk is lowered like uh 2 inches lower than my previous desk was. Mine is all because, the way to the bottom. Whatever. Yeah, because when I'm sitting in my chair, actually like my the tops of my legs are actually up against the bottom of the desk. Yep. And my keyboard is essentially where it would be as if it was almost sitting on my lap, like yep. slightly higher than sitting on my lap. Because when you're sitting in a chair and I also removed the arms from my chair because chair arms don't lower enough They're too high. To allow you to – yeah, so so like I've done all these things to kind of create – make it so that I can just like sit down at my desk and just be in a in a neutral resting position and just have my hands on the keyboard. But the thing that – the thing that has really kind of like still thrown a wrench in everything is that the numpad on my keyboard is on the wrong that. side. Mm-hmm. Numpad you can get a, you mouse can get a, has to be way over there. You can get, you get like a, a USB detachable one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, so I need to do numpad. something because – Numpads should be on the left. Yep. Yep. Because your mouse is on the right, mm-hmm. and and so you need to have. Well, this really, they should thing. always be detachable so that right-handed or left-handed people can flip it to the opposite side. You know, yeah. whichever, whichever yeah. side. So my ma- So basically, like, to go from typing to using the mouse, which is you know an incredibly common movement, no matter what you're doing with a computer. You always got to jump over the numpad, and there's yeah, just I gotta this jump huge like dead space. S- it looks like about six inches, maybe something like that. So yeah, so like for, so like from where your right hand needs to go from home row over to your mouse, it's, it's probably like a foot. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's just a huge amount of space for for no reason, and that's the thing. That's like that's my a big problem that I need to solve. Uh, but you know, like you said, you, I can get like a, a detachable uh, numpad and put that where I want it and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But you know, it's all it's all these little things that just add up. And it's even like, uh, like I have a microphone with a boom or I have a mounted headset mic, but no matter what, I don't want to have to be like leaning over to be able to talk into my mic. Right. Mm -hmm. Or I've got my monitors on these adjustable arms so that I can get them positioned so that they're exactly at the right distance and height and everything. Um, 
And so like I'm also using two monitors and I, I don't like it for the most part because looking at your second monitor is always going to fuck up your neck. Always bad. Like, yep. It's just, it's just you know, over there. Whether you put like yeah. above, now you're like looking up. If it's down, you're, you know, no matter what, it's always in a bad spot. And so I just use the second monitor for like when we're screen sharing or collaborating, I just have people, that's like my, that's my video monitor. So like we just are on it's video the, it's all the day. Passive, yeah, it's the passive hanging out on video, but you're still mostly working on your own thing. Space. Yeah. Working in that's a cafe, basically. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so whenever whenever we go into like discussion mode, that's when I, I literally just stop looking at my main monitor and I just like pivot over to that to my my second monitor and you know, which is also kind of a nice thing to do because that way I'm not like you know the, the person who I'm talking to knows that I'm looking at them. Right? <laughs> there is an eye contact kind of thing there. As opposed to me, just like they can't tell whether I'm, you know, ignoring them and just tabbed in and just like looking at something <laughs> right, else, right. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of considerations to it. But yeah, I, mean, I just any, tell people I'm like when I'm looking what looks like to the right away from you, I'm actually looking at you. That's what I what I just mm-hmm. what I always tell people when we're doing yeah, that stuff. Which is to this day very hard to. Oh yeah, like, I know it's, internal. I know it's weird. <laughs> Adam's um, like, I'm only listening to you when I'm looking away. <laughs> But that's but it's only true for a while because then as soon as like it we have a discussion that goes on for longer than a few minutes, then I always move the window to my in front of me. So now, right. so now I am looking at right. you when I'm looking at you. And then it's you. but yeah. So yeah, there's a, there 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 are a lot of aspects to that trying to like maneuver. Everybody has different to be pieces, kind of adaptive, but, you know. Yeah. But uh yeah, I mean to stay ahead of it, you know, every little thing matters. And if you start to feel at all like any kind of like, wow, my neck hurts, or you know, the just take a beat and try to figure out how to do yeah, some things. And to Sam's point, it, it is everything in your life. Like the thing yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna guarantee you, like which is statistically for people listening to this, your TV is the wrong fucking height. It is too high. I guarantee you that that's Man, the case. Every so time I go, if I get like an Airbnb or something and the TV is like mounted on the top of the ceiling and I'm like, what <laughs> in the hell what? alien yeah, what? lives here? People always put it over a fireplace. It's too, too high. The mod- which then again, forces the, it to be. Yeah, it should be like the top of your, like your your pupils should be horizontally lined up with the top of the screens you're looking at. Whether it's a TV, whether it's a computer monitor or whatever, like that's where it should actually be, right? Well, we had to, like we bought it the lowest console we could find, and then and then I cut the legs off of it to get it low enough that I could, and and now like when we watch TV, I just feel great the whole time. I don't have any no neck pain, right? Mm-hmm. It's the looking a tiny bit up, even a little bit, is one of those things that like it seems like it shouldn't be a big deal, but mm-hmm. that's like the thing if you look up even a little bit or indefinitely like to the left or right, like that's what's gonna fuck up your. Your neck, but if you just but if you're doing that like with your TV in the evening, and you sit down the next day and have good ergonomics at your computer, it doesn't matter because sure you're letting you're gonna letting yourself rest a little bit, right? But it's never gonna be just, perfect. It's always uncomfortable to be doing it. It's gonna you're just still building up because you haven't fixed that other problem, right? Especially if you're gaming, because you you'll get especially into that gaming. you'll get into that. I'm chilling on the couch. I'm sitting there. I've got my elbows on my knees, you know. And uh, I'm sort of like leaned over with my controller. But then if your TV is up, then now you've got to basically like wrench your neck back <laughs> so yeah. far to see it uh, that it's just going to be a huge problem. So uh, it, when you are in your you know early 20s, you can do that stuff all day and you, you don't feel anything at the time. Yeah, yet. Right. But you're accruing a debt mm-hmm. that will be it will come due, but it's, <laughs> but it's not actually payable because the interest grows faster than you can pay it down the principal. So, yeah. So invest early. It's like a 401k for your body. Yep. You know, you want to start, 
maximizing your four your ergonomics four hundred one k right out of the gate because you know once you're in your thirties you're in your forties and everybody around you is you know they're just dropping like flies it's like a war zone right mm-hmm. and you'll just be fit as a fiddle no problem because you thought about the stuff ahead of time and you stayed ahead of it yeah it is the case that since getting my standing desk and then getting everything like vertically lined up um, I spend the first half of every day just standing. Um, just kind of keep my energy up, you know, and then most afternoons I end up sitting back down at some point, but have, once I started to do that, like I don't have any like neck stuff or back stuff or whatever going on at the end of the day, unless I play video games. Cause I'm playing video games. I'm so intense that I'm leaning forward and I can't stop myself, you know, and that seems, I can't figure out how to manage that. Cause whether I'm sitting or standing, the outcome is the same. So that's what I'm still trying to figure out how to deal with, but um, but yeah, that's just a practice thing. Like we were joking about how once I got my Fitbit, I learned that my heart rate actually goes down when I'm playing video games. <laughs> <laughs> that's my Zen time where I'm, no matter what's happening, I'm just super chill. Yep. Uh, so anyways, all right, well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bsketch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.